to Cyberology, Dakota State University's podcast for sharing and discussing all things cyber and technology. I'm Jen Burris, and I'll be your host. Today, we welcome back Dr. Gabe Midland as a co-host. Thank you, Jen. And this episode, we will continue our series on artificial intelligence. And so we have a special guest with us today, Darren Dutcher. Uh, Gabe, would you like to do a little introduction for Darren? Uh, Darren is uh, one of the students in uh, my honors section for EPSY 210 Lifespan Development. And uh, in the class, I invited students. They could take a test, or if there was a, a topic that we were covering that they were interested in, they could come to me with a proposal to do some sort of project. And um, Darren reached out, and uh, he said, you know what I'd like to do is put together a research poster. And I said, wow, that, that sounds great. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about how that involves artificial intelligence along with what we're talking about in, in the class and how Darren put that together. Awesome. So, Darren, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Born and raised in California, going to Dakota State University. I'm a cyber operations and network security administration major. And yeah, I look forward to this podcast. <laughs> awesome. So can you start by telling us a little bit about what inspired your idea for this project? I've always kind of enjoyed like psychology, uh, philosophy and that. And I enjoyed like going with concepts of like, can AI truly become a sentient being or that? So I always had a fascination with AI from the start and talking about like how children develop in that. I thought would be great to kind of be like, oh, compare kind of a child to AI and how they both develop, because I feel like there's a lot of similarities with how they develop. And of course, we're talking about in the cognitive sense, mm -hmm. um, how uh, what Darren chose to do, if I may, Darren, um, how children begin to understand how to categorize things. Mm -hmm. uh, this is even before they begin to speak that they begin to recognize, for example, say, uh, a family pet. It has four legs, it has a tail, um, it has whiskers. And uh, their family pet happens to be a dog. But on a play date with another child who has a pet that has four legs and a tail, um, he learns that this is not a dog. Uh, he's corrected. This is a cat. And he starts to understand and distinguish the differences, even though he can't articulate it. Mm -hmm. And in talking uh, about this way that children learn to assimilate and accommodate, um, Darren came up with the idea of how that parallels with how we train, if you will, a computer. Am I saying that right? Yeah. I mean, how we kind of like train a computer AI program. The simplest way is just giving a bunch of pictures, having human self-identify it, sit, you know, like the little recaptchas or like, are you a robot? Click on all the stop signs and that. That helps uh, to process data and say, okay, these are stop signs. And they basically relate them, say, okay, 
there's an octagon in all of these pictures. It's all red with lettering there, and it relates it by pixels instead of just by the word stop or that. Through that, AI starts to kind of like process and say, oh, these similarities help to create a full picture, helps to create a pattern. And so assimilation is taking something and and trying to categorize it with what we already know. And accommodation is when we recognize that it doesn't quite fit. So we've got to change uh, the way that we think about this this new thing. As I understand it, um, I, I, I learned a lot about AI uh, from Darren's project that very much like a human being learns to accommodate to um, meet the needs of a new situation. Um, that's how we, we train, if you will, a computer um, to distinguish and notice that there's differences. And now we have two things rather than just one thing. And it's a process that repeats itself over and over again. And of course, our knowledge then accumulates. So expanding the AI's definition of something. So you show a bunch of pictures of dogs and then you throw a cat in there and it says it's a dog again. Yeah. And then you recalibrate it kind of. Re you recalibrate it. You can kind of train it and show it some pictures of cats because for the most part what you do is you'll have a bunch of different pictures and you'll have people select stuff. So one of the experiences that I got to go to was this one place uh, at the University of Maryland called Park, and they were working with classification of imaging. So they had a setup with a camera, and whatever the camera was looking at, it would say, oh, that's a monitor, that's a computer, that's a light, and it would just put a box around that stuff so it's basically getting fed a lot of information of people putting like boxes around like, oh, this is what a light looks like. This is what a computer looks like. This is what this looks like. And through that, it's basically able to say, okay, all of these boxes have this similarity to it and tries to basically say, okay, that similarity is what this image is so it's not as like sophisticated i would say it's sophisticated in a way but it's not as sophisticated as like humans at this current level sure there, there's a distinguishing of the different features mm -hmm. it, it's it's kind of a fascinating process when you think about it but it takes time mm -hmm. and it takes a little bit of direction sometimes from someone else but very rapidly um children, and we're talking about uh, toddlers starting at approximately um, nine months of age, the more and more exposure they have to new things, they're assimilating and accommodating quite rapidly. And, and with a computer program, it's much the same. So it's kind of like expanding categories. Exactly. And so how did you go about researching this project once you had the idea? Uh, so I would say the first thing that I did 
uh, was hop on to my trusty friend Google, and I just kind of uh, looked at some scholarly papers and that, looked at uh, machine learning algorithms, because there's a bunch of different machine learning algorithms for image classification. And I chose one because there's like 20 different machine learning algorithms. So I looked at each one individually and just like, oh, this one seems very rudimentary. So it's somewhat easier to explain. Once I found the method, I kind of just looked into that method and was just like, okay, let's see how a child like takes an image and processes it. So I looked up some scholarly articles of how a child processes images and read through that then i went over and kept looking at oh these two are pretty similar although it's not like oh yeah they both look at the same image and know exactly what it is or they get told what the image is the child looks at this image and is told oh that's a dog well then a computer has to get told what a dog is too but then it goes on a lower level it looks at the pixels it looks at the very small details of it it requires a larger test size than humans because it requires multiple like oh yeah this is a dog this is a dog this is a dog to basically create that category it can create the category on the first go but it wouldn't be too precise were there changes to the children's levels as they got older compared to ai it's around the same if you boil everything down children get told what an object is and then they keep learning or they go look in their book and see oh this is what a butterfly looks like this is what a fish looks like once you kind of learn what a fish is then you maybe look at some other fish and you're like oh this is a cod this is a salmon this is all these different types of fish and you see that there's subcategories to the category that you create uh, which can be the same thing with AI. Okay, so is the time span kind of similar in the learning experiences, or does AI move a little bit slower because it takes more information? I would say that it actually moves faster, faster? with the AI. Okay. Because you can feed a bunch of numbers to an AI. You can feed a lot of information to an AI very quickly. The real advantage, of course, with technology is is the processing speed. And I'm really speaking out of school here, so Darren, correct me on this, but my understanding is that a lot of the ways that we've designed uh, a computer is um, really uh, a representation of how we understand how our brains work, particularly in the, in the area of memory. And, and you address this in, the, in your assignment too. I mean. Uh, first of all, we have to attend to something. If we don't attend to it, it's lost. And then it moves into short-term memory where it can stay for about 20, 30 seconds at the most. If, if we practice and rehearse that information, if not, it's lost again. It moves into something called long-term memory, which up until recently, um, most psychologists agreed was infinite. But now there's been some studies that say, well, it's pretty large, but it's not infinite. Again, if the information is processed, if it's related to other things that we understand and know well, there's a good chance that we can retrieve it later. The advantage of technology is those things are, are stored. 
and, and can be retrieved depending on the user if they remember, for example, a file name or something like that. But that processing speed that Darren was referring to uh, of being able to take in all kinds of information and organize it and, and connect it to other things is so far superior to what we can do as humans. But you, does it lack in the ability to make like inferences that we humans can quickly do right. once we've learned things? Right. And I think the, the, the parallel is that with humans, the more experiences we have, the more likely we're able to categorize and distinguish between different things. I think the same thing would be true with AI. Yep. The, the more it's exposed to and directed by humans, the more it's able to make those distinctions. Yeah, I know uh, some of my friends uh, last year, they did a really cool project and it was on adversarial AI networks. And that basically having one AI fight against the other AI and how they implemented it was they had this one AI create medical record codes and then they had the other AI to identify which ones were fake and which ones were real. At the beginning, the one that was making the fake uh, medical codes would send it to that and it would automatically get detected in that. But then as they kept doing larger and larger numbers, and I mean hundreds of thousands of test runs and that, it started to get basically where this one AI couldn't tell what a fake medical record was and what a real medical record was. When you're talking about like pitting the two AIs against each other, does that help you kind of find flaws in things too? In a cyber attack, for example? I've uh, kind of been looking at uh, implementing AI into cyber, which hasn't to a large scale been done. There's a lot of companies that are like, oh, yeah, we have AI in our cyber technology. It's not really AI from the most part. It's either like a framework or an API. To, let's say, implement AI into this, it gets pretty complicated because each attack can be different. You can have something that it normally exploits be extremely secure and can't exploit that, so you have to look for a different way in. You can probably tell the AI, hey, look at all these ways in and then do that, but to my knowledge, I don't think there is a fully automated AI program that can find the vulnerabilities, exploit them, and then be like, oh yeah, these are your vulnerabilities that your company has. And you mentioned framework and APIs. Can you explain for our listeners what that is? Frameworks and APIs tend to be mistaken for AI. It's more coded in stuff, so it's not learning as it goes, it's just, this is how it's programmed. This is what it will do. So an API is more like completing a task over and over again versus expanding upon that as it learns. That's a TLDR of that. <laughs> Gabe, what was this like as um, his professor in learning about this uh, new topic and comparing it to early childhood development? Well, again, fascinating. You know, I use technology a lot, and, and I, I like using technology. 
um, I don't know how it works. <laughs> and and um, I, I, I love all the uh, uh, things that it uh, can do for us in, in enhancing the quality of our life. I'm interested in psychology, but I, I, I recognize that there's a lot of things, other subjects, other topics, other disciplines that have a lot of overlap mm -hmm. with what I'm interested in. And what Darren was able to do was to really show the overlap with, if you will, AI, or even on a broader scale, computer science, in a really meaningful way uh, with how we understand how our brains work. And of course, psychology is a study of not only behavior, but mental processing. And of course, I understand that um, computers are our best representation, maybe, or uh, a representation of how our brains work. But to see how it actually can do more than just what you were talking about earlier, doing a command that we've programmed it to do, but to go beyond that and to think about the fact that, you know, I, I guess I understood this, but, but this was really tangible to me, that you can actually have a computer begin to make those distinctions, to begin to make decisions based on what information you provide to it on its own. It's amazing. It's kind of scary. But it's also, I think, going to lead to some really exciting developments that, due to the limitations that we have as humans, are going to enhance the quality of our lives. Cyberology. As you put together your research poster, how did you choose what to highlight? I looked uh, for a lot of the similarities between AI and uh, people and development, basically. I wanted to make sure these are similarities instead of going for a more advanced AI that may not share as many similarities or may use a more advanced process. And I also wanted to find a more simpler process so I could put it in easier terms to understand because as I know, Gabe tries to adapt I'm simple. to computers. Just say it. I'm simple. <laughs> I'm a very simple person. <laughs> it's all right, Darren. I mean, you do better than my grandma with computers. Oh, thank so. you. <laughs> I, I got grandma beat. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, he wanted to, to make the, the project accessible to a broader audience than, uh, say, his peers and colleagues. And I think he did a really nice job of providing the, the, the an overview of the parallels between the two processes. Mm -hmm. it, it's just a really fine piece of work, and I, I, I'm really proud of what he put together. Did you get any feedback from anyone else besides Gabe? I ran it through my roommates. I'm like, hey, do you mind looking at this real quick or do you have a second? And I just tan in my computer and let him look at it. Tell me if you can understand it, if you have had nothing to do with this concept or that, or is it easy to understand and follow, even if you've never worked with image processing before, even if you've never worked with memory or AI or people or that. I just hand it to him. He checks through it check my spelling in that because spelling's a different thing for me. <laughs> I'm really disappointed you didn't share it with your grandmother, but uh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> okay, Gabe, you have any questions left or um, comments? No, I just, uh, I was really pleased that Darren saw this as an opportunity. And again, this is something new that I'm doing in my classes, uh, but it's really 
proved to be very fruitful in helping students to see beyond just the domain that they're interested in and seeing how they can expand on the things that they're passionate about from looking at things from a different perspective, from a different discipline's viewpoint. That's nice. I bet it's also beneficial for the students as well to kind of get outside of their comfort zone maybe a little bit. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it encourages them to um, demonstrate their mastery of the content in a, a different way. And I think that students would like to show that they understand the information, but in a different format, like a poster. I've had students make videos. I've had them do a podcast. They've come up with these ideas, and I've, I've kind of told them what I'd like the parameters to be, and they just take off. I really do think, and I try to tell students this, it's your responsibility, it's your job, it's your task to find how what I have to offer is linked with, like I've said, with what you're passionate about. They're adding to their expertise about something that they care about, and they're just so excited to see this, this connection that they didn't realize exists. And it does. All Everything overlaps. To think that their different disciplines are silos is incorrect. It's really more of a Venn diagram. Okay, well, I'd like to thank Gabe for co-hosting again. Thank you for having me. And Darren for being our guest. Thank you for having me. And, of course, our sound designer, Spencer Rapp. And thank you for listening to Cyberology. Be sure to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs>